You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by UFM Underwear. Head to ufmunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear. Support your manhood. And also brought to you by MyBookie, where you can double your first deposit. Head to mybookie.ag and use promo code GATORS to activate the offer. Bet. Win. Get paid at MyBookie. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Heartbreak, 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 but man, that was a fun back and forth game between Florida and LSU, a fun back-and-forth game of college football, but Florida comes up short and suffers their first loss of the season to LSU, 42-28. to LSU and that offense eventually just too much for the Gators to overcome. Joining me on this episode will be Will Salmon from The Athletic, as he does every Sunday for our reaction episode. Will will join me from Baton Rouge, and we'll get to him in a moment, but remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there as well. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And joining me as he does every week on this reaction episode, traveling back from Baton Rouge, is Will Salmon from The Athletic. Will, man, the Gators handled the atmosphere of Death Valley pretty well, put up a valiant effort uh, against a really good LSU team. They really did, right? I thought they put up a a tremendous effort, actually. I thought they they hung in there. And I think if you could hang with this version of LSU in Death Valley, you could probably hang with anybody. And they proved that. So it was a great effort. Um, and they, they were only doomed, really, in my opinion, by, you know, a couple of failures in the red zone late. But, and, of course, the defensive struggles, notwithstanding, that was pretty obvious, particularly against the run. Um, but you really, uh, especially with this offense, you can't really gripe too much about what you saw. Defensively, yeah, there were some issues without Grenard and Zuniga. Uh, but like I said, I felt like after watching this team that they're, you could strongly make that argument that they're the team to beat in the SEC East. Yeah, and, Will, I mean, we'll start just like last week. You know, we started with the defense because of their their great effort and their great performance against Auburn. And I really think we have to probably start there again this week and just like last week. And, and, and you know, they were 
you know the headline of of what how the game turned out. Uh, you know, so we're going to start with this defensive performance, and, and of course, for a much different reason, we saw the LSU pass game being a tough matchup uh, just because of what they bring to the table, but that was the difference in the game, and perhaps the most surprising aspect uh, was the Gators just giving up huge yardage in the run game. Uh, we talked and we previewed this LSU passing attack led by Joe Burrow, but you know, I did throw out last week in the preview episode that LSU likes to stay balanced, and, and even though the run game wasn't really working, they they were still calling run plays, keeping keeping defenses honest, and and really kind of you know just stay in balance as far as number of plays called run or pass. Well, you know, Saturday night uh, that run game worked for the Tigers, and 218 yards rushing, uh, average 9.1 yards per rush on 24 attempts and and three touchdowns. Clyde Edwards-Alaire just torched the Gators from the get-go and ended with 13 attempts for 134 yards and two touchdowns, went along with 57, averaging 10.3 yards a carry. Uh, Joe Burrow early on was able to escape the pocket run for 43 yards. Yes, the LSU passing game had its success, but that was somewhat expected. You know, Florida limited big plays um, in, in the Dadaville passing game until LSU's last touchdown uh, on the 54-yard pass from Burrow to Jamar Chase. But you know, the run game had a 57 and a 39-yard run from the Lair, then another from Ty Davis-Prince for 33-yard touchdown. Now, this LSU run game just came in and dominated the Gators, especially with chunk yardage plays. That was a good call by you for bringing up the – balance of all of LSU's offense because I feel like all we heard from sort of LSU media or really even nationally was their whole big thing on their offense was their offensive line was maybe an issue for them and their running game was really not up to the standard of their passing game at this point and while that may have been true we didn't really see that on Saturday we saw the exact opposite we saw a pretty good offensive line Granted, they weren't blocking against a couple of Florida's best pass rushers, but they they played really well, and their rushing attack was fierce. Now, I say that, and a lot of those, uh, a couple of the problems, at least for Florida, was just really poor um, in terms of fitting their gaps. I mean, I remember one player in particular, uh, you mentioned a 33-yard touchdown, um, I believe it was in the third quarter, which gave LSU the lead 35-28. Uh, that was when Grenard and Zuniga, of course, were both out of the game. And I believe they had Luke Ankrum at defensive end. And right before the ball is snapped, Jeremiah Moon is telling him, trying to push him over to get yeah. up to the other side. And by the time Ankrum gets up from his stance and starts moving, the ball gets snapped. And he's kind of caught between the center and the right guard and is easily blocked and out of the play. And right where he was supposed to be was where that hole was wide open. And so there was just – that was an obvious example. But there were other times when just their block scheme was, was sound and they really took advantage of Florida's compromised defense in the run game. So it was just long run after long run after long run. And that can be problematic going forward. It, even if you have a guy like Jonathan Grenard back or Zuniga back, because, I mean, it was broken tackles. Um, they didn't really get much help at the second level. So, like, there, there were some issues to the run game is what I'm trying to say beyond just the absences. But those absences were the, were the obvious reasons why it was as bad as it was, I believe. 
Yeah, I mean, you have to look at what LSU brings to the table on offense, and you know, it, it is spread you out. And there's going to be times where it's man on man, and you got to make a hit, you got to make a tackle, you got to get in the backfield. And, and I really thought the way LSU spread Florida out just kind of limited Florida's physicality and also the mindset. You know, it was stop this passing game, stop this passing game, stop this passing game. And I really thought, you know, Florida's kind of Florida's defense was kind of swimming a little bit, maybe even Todd Grantham swimming a little bit, just concentrating so much on this run game that you know Florida's defense played a little timid and I really think that 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 showed just by you know by the way LSU was able to run the ball is it, just Florida couldn't really just uh you know just concentrate on being physical it was more worried about hey let's not give a pass over the middle or you know something to that situation I really just think you know, Florida's defense for, for the defense just their heads weren't in it just because of worrying so much about that LSU passing game. Yeah, I can definitely see your point there. It's, it's probably true to an extent. Uh, one of those things where I feel pretty confident that that was the case, but it's very hard to prove without, there, yeah. without sort of being inside their head, of course. But I can definitely understand that and get down with your line of thinking there because also the Tigers were moving fast. I mean, they were making decisions. They were getting the ball out quick. They were, they were hurrying up to the line. So and, and we didn't make a whole lot of adjustments. Yeah, and the issue with that there is, I mean, that's nothing new. I mean, we've seen it on tape all, you know, all season, and this was a a very fast-paced offense. And, yeah, I mean, I agree. You brought it up perfectly, and we'll get into it. Zanig and Grenard now out there. But, you know, you would assume this whole week in practice, Florida was practicing just the speed of what LSU was bringing to the table. Yeah, I I do think it's a little bit different, though, when you have a team like LSU because – what makes them different than, say, Auburn's offense is Auburn was all pre-snap nonsense, where yeah. it was a lot of window dressing. It was a lot of, you know, show this, but we're going to do this. LSU makes a lot of adjustments right before that ball is snapped based on what they're seeing from your defense. And then not only that, but there are different things that they're doing within the play once the ball is snapped. Um, that they're making adjustments off of based on what they're seeing defensively. And Burrow knows all of that, their quarterback. And, and he's a cerebral player um, when it comes to looking at a defense, seeing what they're giving him, and then making a quick decision. We saw that um, in good spots for him. But I'll say this about, about the defense. I know a lot of people were kind of down on them after the game, of course, saying like, hey, you know, they, they, they were playing maybe a – I don't want to say a softer schedule because Auburn was there, but I mean, Auburn's offense featured a, a true freshman quarterback and people could obviously point to the two FCS games, Miami's inexperienced offensively, Kentucky playing with a backup. And you say, okay, yeah, maybe this defense wasn't really that good. Uh, but I'll, I'll say though that LSU's offense was the best offense, obviously that they played, but mm-hmm. they're not going to play another one quite like LSU's, at least not in the regular season. Right. Yeah, I mean, and much like we you know previewing this game and and looking at the defenses LSU played and kind of you know people kind of maybe you know thinking negatively of LSU's offense, you can also kind of apply this to the Florida defense. At least in those situations, you were doing what you were supposed to do. You know, you you, hit, you have worries sometimes if you're playing a weaker opponent and and you're not doing what you're supposed to do. But much like LSU's offense when they were playing Georgia Southern, Texas, and Vanderbilt, uh, and there's defenses that really couldn't stop the pass. You know, at least they were doing what they were supposed to do, and that's why it gave you worry. And that's why you know I'm sure the LSU side was worried about this Florida defense because they were doing what they were supposed to do against their teams in those situations. Uh, and and Will, with that said, you know we'll we'll, we'll continue the, this 
LSU offense versus this Florida defense talking. This LSU offense really stresses, uh, and, and the passing offense really stresses defenses. And, and you can see they can they can pass outside, they can pass over the middle vertically. Uh, it was a bad matchup for Florida once Jonathan Grenard and, and Jabbar Zuniga couldn't play. You know, I'm not sure how much effect those two players would have had in the end. Of course, you'd think some, but you you also had the secondary in position to make tackles and make plays and and make pass breakups, and you know they they couldn't get it done. Uh, wide receivers would catch the ball. They couldn't make the, the secondary couldn't make the tackle uh, after initially there to make a play. Henderson, Wilson, uh, all all of them struggled there. And Will, in everything this Gators defense has excelled in this year, they just couldn't replicate versus the Tigers. Um, LSU's offensive line was questioned all week, as we kind of mentioned, and we already discussed what they were able to do in the Florida run game, but they were also instrumental in not giving up any sacks for this Florida defense. Only one tackle for loss. Burrow moving around helped there. So, you know, with all that uh, lack of pressure and havoc that we're used to seeing from this Gators defense create this year, and that was a chain reaction for uh, the the Gators not creating any turnovers. Uh, So this Gator defense that was near tops in sacks in the nation, led the nation in turnovers. They just could not figure out this LSU offense without its top two pass rushers on the sideline. So no sacks, no turnovers. Joe Burrow had as many incompletions as he had as he had touchdown passes with three. I mean, this is a, it was a mismatch. Will once uh, Florida's two best pass rushers were on the sideline. Yeah, but I would say even that first series, though, it wasn't as yeah. if like they were getting a lot of pressure in Joe Burrow's face. The pressure wasn't even there. I mean, he had a, he had a lot of time to throw. I think there was maybe one play um, where he was under pressure in the first couple of drives. Um, particularly the first drive, but really what I was seeing was a guy who had some time and that, you know, I mean, when you're against um, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, those guys are going to find their ways to to make catches. I mean, like I I, I get CJ Henderson, Marco Wilson. uh, Those are some tremendous, those are a couple of tremendous defensive backs, but those are some really good wide receivers and they're going to, they're going to get open. They're going to get theirs, um, whether it comes early or they figure it out eventually. It's, probably going to happen and so I just feel like when that press when that pass rush is non-existent like it was it just it puts them in a bind it really does the secondary so yeah you can kind of say like maybe it wasn't their best game in the back end and it it wasn't but a lot of that has to do with them just not getting uh, much of a pass rush there I felt like because Gresham tried to bring some um, at times he kind of did the same thing that he's been doing where he sort of disguised the fourth guy as, as, as uh, the fourth guy who's rushing. And it, it didn't really work as well. Um, we saw him try to, you know, blitz David Reese a couple of times. Just didn't, it didn't quite get there. Um, and I thought that it, maybe he would blitz a little bit more heavily, but again, it's like, you can't do that because they're getting the ball out so quick. They're, they're knowing what to do with the ball right away and they have playmakers. So, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation there. And too often times they, they fell on the wrong side of it. All right, we'll transition, uh, Will. Uh, Will, anything else you want to hit on this defensive side? I know you're, the article you released uh, on The Athletic, uh, you released it uh, early, you know, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. 
uh, kind of reviewing this game and more from what we've kind of discussed on, on this defensive performance for the Gators. Uh, I know you hit really hard the red zone defense last year or last week uh, on the athletic as well, hitting, you know, what the, the how well Florida was doing uh, as a red zone defensive team uh, there. You know, uh, you know, LSU had some chunk yardage touchdowns, but uh, at least that first touchdown, you know, they were able to to go down the field and that was a you know easy red zone touchdown once they got down there. Yeah, that was a, that was a simple RPO play, uh, well executed by LSU on that first one, but it just really underscored how important uh, Jonathan Gernard and Jabari Zuniga are to this defense. And I know you could take away any two playmakers, any two of your top defensive linemen on any team, and the results are not going to be good. But I just feel like it's just even more so with Florida, just because I just you can't really look at that team after Saturday and say they have any depth beyond Jabari Zuniga at, at, at defensive end. Because without Zuniga, they were putting in Grenard at that spot. And then without both of them, where do you turn? Um, didn't really get much out of the backups there. And that's going to be an issue if these guys uh, can't go or are limited in any, in any sort of fashion because Dan Mullen was – didn't really give give us a whole lot as far as what their availability was going forward. All right, we'll move to the other side of the ball here, Will. And if I had given the fan base the stat line of Florida running 84 plays, Kyle Travis would go 23 of 39 for 310 yards, three touchdowns and one interception. The run game would produce 146 rushing yards. I'd say most of the fan base would have taken that, but but yet it, it wasn't enough. Uh, Van Jefferson goes for eight catches, 73 yards, and two touchdowns. Kyle Pitts had a monster first half and ended up with five catches for 108 yards in the game. But at the end of the day, that wasn't enough. Uh, you know, Florida, Florida had LSU right where they wanted them going into halftime. Uh, as, far in, as far as having a formula to win on offense, uh, the Gators defense was struggling. LSU had scored touchdowns on three of their uh, five possessions in the first half, you know, not counting the nil-down drive right before halftime. But the Gators offense responded to each and every one of those drives with their own touchdowns uh, to have the game tied at 21, all, uh, all tied at 21, all going into the locker room. Dan Mullen was calling a, a masterful game. Kyle Trask was finding open receivers. Kyle Pitts was abusing LSU defensive backs. Michael Piran was running tough and finding yards. Emory Jones came in at the right times and kept LSU's defense off balance and, and threw a miraculous touchdown to Michael Piran. All that led touchdown drives of 12 plays, 75 yards, totaling 6 minutes and 21 seconds. 13 plays, 75 yards, totaling 6 minutes and 56 seconds. And then right before halftime, uh, an 11 play, 75 yard drive that took 351 off the clock. And that touchdown drive, you know, tied the game at 21. All that gave Florida twice the amount of time of possession with a 20 minute and 13 second to 9 minute and 47 second and a 43 to 22 play advantage over LSU in the first half. As far as offense goes, Will, you couldn't have asked for a better script in the first half of the Gators. No, and the funny thing is about about this game was Florida threw for more passing yards than LSU. Yeah, like that's a, that was a weird thing to kind of see at the end of the game. It was three hundred and eleven to two ninety three. The difference, of course, though, was the average attempts. I mean, the, the um, average per per attempt, the, the yards mm-hmm. per attempt on on passing. Florida was, I think, at around seven. LSU was at twelve point two. So that that kind of underscores everything that you were saying there, David. With 
time of possession, the amount of plays being drastically different to kind of get to get to the end zone for both teams. But you got to tip your hat to Dan Mullen. He, co- he coached a, a heck of a game, I thought at least. Um, he really took apart mismatches with uh, Kyle Pitts, like you mentioned, and switched things up then when um, you know LSU pressured more in the second half and made some adjustments. He went to Van Jefferson and challenged um, a, a very young and talented LSU cornerback. But just it wasn't enough. Um, I, I think that we did learn though that what this offense is capable of, and you got to feel good about Kyle Trask and, and Emory Jones. And it's it's kind of interesting because they said, or Dan Mullen said when Felipe Franks went down, that they were going to use the two quarterbacks. And you kind of raise your eyebrow a little bit, and you kind of think, okay, well, what what exactly is this going to look like here? I thought in a perfect situation, what it looked like was what happened on Saturday night, where it, it, I thought it worked really well. I thought they fed off each other well. The plan, obviously, was to bring Emory Jones in right when they reached the 30-yard 30, 30 line or so, right around the – right when it became an obvious red zone, red zone trip or one capable of getting there. That was time to bring in Emory Jones, kind of with shortened field, was able to make things happen in the run game. Um, and then Kyle Trask was efficient, poised. I mean, every, every adjective you want to use. So it's a good combination. I feel like this game gave people some hope that they could score points and this offense can move the ball. And not for nothing, but I, it didn't really surprise me because you're combining you know, a, a really good play caller, Dan Mullen, with uh, two quarterbacks who at this point know the system, know how to pick apart mismatches, and you have a group of wide receivers that when they spread out five wide or four wide receiver sets, there's too many guys to account for, and you're going to find, you're going to have a problem there um, if you're the opposing defense, and the quarterbacks are able to find it, and the scheme is good. So I, I just feel like it, the offense is not really that much of a is not a concern for me because although the offensive line had its moments where it was a little bit overmatched on some running plays. The pressure was there on a couple of throws. Emory Jones was, uh, I think he was, he had a defensive lineman basically on top of him on that, on that throw to P. Ryan. Um, but they weren't completely, I feel like, overwhelmed by, by the atmosphere. And so I thought that was a positive as well, where it wasn't like the, the nightmare situation of false start after false start, sack after sack. We didn't see that. It wasn't pretty, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't a complete um, uh, sense of overwhelming uh, from from the defensive pressure against that offensive line. So all in all, I thought like the offensive the offense was pretty solid, um, and it gave a lot of hope going forward that if you need them to score points, if you need them to move the ball down the field, yeah, it's not going to be as explosive as the LSU, but they'll get the job done. Yeah, but you know, going into this game, I thought that was the formula Florida needed just to to limit LSU's possessions, and that's what they were getting in the first half, and you know that continued into the um, the second half as well. Where where Van Jefferson and Trask, I mean, they just had a drive, you know, where they just took over to take the lead. Uh, the first play, uh, Trask to Jefferson for 20 yards, and the very next play, the same route by Jefferson goes for 17 yards. Two plays later, Trask finds Jefferson again for 12 yards, and then to cap that drive off, uh, finds Jefferson in the end zone uh, as Jefferson takes a hard hit to the back and, and hangs on for the touchdown to take a 28-21 lead. At this point, Will, you know Florida is going to be in this game and, and fight tooth and nail with LSU. 
Mullen, as you said, you know, Mullen was taking advantage of matchups and the Gators took the lead in the second half. You know, LSU was going to have to respond. There was finally some pressure on LSU uh, and their offense to, to, to respond, but they, they did, of course. But, you know, we'll to go back to Dan Mullen here and what he's able to do, there are two good things I look for uh, in coaches in game situations. And good coaches do this is when given the opportunity to score going into halftime and then score coming out of halftime in a game where you know you have to put up points. You know, those two drives made a statement and Florida keeping pace with LSU. Definitely. And it was really creative. I thought the usage of Emory Jones was impressive. The play designs were smart. And if you look at a couple of those drives, even the one that started when they were pinned on their own eight, they were able to move the ball. And a lot of that occurred because of the, the creativity in the, use, the usage of the personnel. And I point to a couple of big third down pickups within that drive um, where they went five wide receivers set, five wide. Um, and I think there was one play in particular where even Gene DeLance came up, blocked somebody at the second level to kind oh, of yeah. free up. You know, you know, I forgot who it was who was freed up. So I'm sorry about that. But it was a screen. It was a screen to Swain, I believe. And Swain, yeah, it was Swain, yeah. Swain, and it was in man coverage. So you completely wiped out that guy with the Delance block. And so that was just a just a really smart, crafty way. And we saw that time and time again um, on on big downs, like because that one was a third third and ten um, from way back in their own territory. And again, I mentioned the Emory Jones usage, but that, that, that's worth repeating just because we're going to see more of Emory Jones. And I think we're going to see his role increase a little bit, is my hunch. Um, but we saw a lot of good things from him. Um, we know that he could run, but I felt like he made some really good decisions with RPOs. I felt like he made some good decisions um, throwing the ball as well. So I, I don't know, my my level of confidence in Emory Jones is growing, especially after that performance. Yeah, we'll get into that here, too, a little bit here, Will, before we wrap up and what the Gators were able to do in Baton Rouge. And unfortunately, Will, the, the Gators stopped scoring there uh, at 28 points. And, you know, there was a sequence of offensive drives that really just seemed to get Florida out of rhythm here. You know, LSU responded to tie the game at 28, and, and Florida's taking over at their own 25-yard line with 7-12 left in the third quarter. Traz finds P. Ryan on a 27-yard gain, but Stone Forsyth was called for holding, uh, backing up the Gators here. And, and, and so first and 20 after that eventually turns into a third and 19 where, where Trask is sacked. Florida punts from their own end zone. LSU scores on a four-play, 52-yard drive right after that to regain the lead, 35-28. to 28. And then the next drive, you mentioned Emory Jones' usage here, but this was the drive the first time he was, you know, taking over on the on the first play. Uh, you know, takes over for the first time, starting on the drive, and that drive goes nowhere. Uh, L, now, you know, LSU would punt the ensuing drive, so you know, didn't really end up hurting. But you know, those two drives, starting without holding call on fourth side, just really got Florida out of a groove. And credit to LSU too here by by bringing some pressure. That was a really nice adjustment by Dave Aranda there on those two drives. You know, I was worried about Florida holding up if the game turned into a shootout, and it was these two drives where Florida just couldn't keep up. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was really the difference, I thought, with LSU's uh, defensive game planning is that they, they started to bring the pressure on those drives, and that was a, a big difference because I don't want to say Kyle Trask had all day to throw on some of those, but he wasn't facing that much of a, a rush in his face, at least, like we saw later on. And I'm with you. Those those two drives, I mean, you, in hindsight, you do things differently. Yeah. But 
did you kind of expect them to continue to to, to just I mean just Matt, looking at it realistically, I'm just saying to myself, like, there's going to be a time where they're going to force a three and out. I mean, that's just going to happen. Um, you just hard pressed to continue to put up methodical drive after, after methodical drive ending a touchdown like that. I just, I wasn't all that surprised is what I'm trying to say. When, once that happened, it was kind of an eventual thing where I thought their, their defense needed to Florida's defense needed to kind of do mm-hmm. the same thing and, and, and get that stop. And it just never happened. And so, yeah, their, their offense, um, didn't move the ball in those couple of drives, but I, I mean, you can't, you're, you're not going to be perfect against this, against this defense. I know they're not as maybe um, great as they, as they were in the past, but it's still a very good LSU defense. Yeah. And going back to that, you know, that Emory drive where he started uh, that possession there, you know, Florida still only down by a touchdown 35 to 28 after those two drives and then putting together a nice drive to go tie the game Florida drives it down to the LSU 17 and has a second and two where Emory comes in and only gains one yard after Travis leads the offense all the way down. And will in, in the first half when it you know, just seen Mullen pick the right times to get Emory in, uh, those those decisions felt a little off in hindsight, of course, uh, in, in the second half. But the the execution left a lot to be the, left a lot to be desired as well from the offensive line in, in the situation. And Emory was stuffed for a one yard gain. Uh, on that second, second and two, and then it comes back, and then you know after that comes the the backbreaker interception on third and one, where it looked like Kyle Trask and, and Swain weren't on the same page, and Tyree Cleveland is you know held on his route big time, a big miss from the the, the officials here uh, on that play. Three plays later, Burrow finds Jamar Chase for a 54 yard touchdown and puts LSU up two touchdowns. That essentially puts the game away. You know, if Florida had a chance after that, but you know would have called for a score had they. And for with after that and then needed an onside kick as well so you know, it was those three drives there where um you know the holding call backs you up Emory Jones starts the next drive and then you do drive but throw the interception in the third and one when you go back and look at this game it's that sequence uh, of three drives there that were the difference for the Gators yeah no doubt and I mean you tell me how you felt about the third and one call in the in the moment I thought well, you know what are they doing pass the ball you know, just just run the ball, but but then a few seconds later, I'm saying to myself, okay, well, I'm sure LSU is sort of expecting the run though too. So I felt yeah. like, I mean, you call you call play fake there. I mean, yeah, it, it is just, tough. I, yeah, I, I even hard. I think it's I even yeah. Question, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think I even tweeted because, at that at that time. Florida probably needed to get creative there to get a score. Uh, and, and make sure right. they get a score in that situation. And you know, not while that's not necessarily a creative call, it is something, as you said, maybe LSU is not expecting at the time. Yes, because look, the, the run the run wasn't working. I mean, that that was clear. Um, and so I don't, I don't, I don't hate it. And I actually probably, I'm in line with saying that that was probably the right thing to do there. The execution, though, like you said, was just off. I mean, Kyle Trask is making a bad decision there, and he's thrown off his. Um, either his back foot or at least his feet were not set while he was making that throw. It just looked really awkward right right when he was releasing it. You kind of held your breath there just because it wasn't – it never looked pretty from the release. And, yeah, I just think that the overall ex- lack of execution really was, was the culprit there because there was that play. There was the offensive line finally showing some, some struggles uh, that were costly this time late in the game. So, again, just – a lack of execution there um, from from your quarterback in that one play, and then the offensive line on a couple of those uh, that that really cost or, or doomed the Gators offensively. 
All right, well, well, you know, Gators get their first loss uh, of the season when they travel to Baton Rouge there, as we said. Uh, a really good effort there uh, from the Gators. But, you know, there's no there's no moral victories uh, in, in football in the SEC. But in the end, when you when you look at the big picture, and, you know, we'll get into that, of course, as the week goes on and, and Georgia losing and all that. But, you know, we we kind of looked at this game as Florida playing with house money uh, anyway uh, going into this game. Uh, and there's some things to be confident in, in coming out of this LSU game and maybe some worry, too, with, with the injuries and, and the health on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, but all in all, I think, you know, Gator fans still have to feel pretty good about where this team is. Yeah, I mean, all your goals are right in front of you still. You can still win the SEC East. You can still win the SEC. You can still go even loftier aspirations than that. I mean, nobody, nobody is going to fault you for losing at LSU to one of the best teams in the in the in the, in the country, hands down, um, and and not looking terrible at all in in, the, in that effort either. It was a pretty good effort from Florida, and you showed a lot of good things. But yeah, I mean, all your goals are right in front of you. You obviously have to get healthy on defense. Um, but from what we saw on Saturday, that division is very attainable to say the very least. And like I said at the beginning of the conversation. For my money, I, I, would, I would put the favorite as Florida right now, just based on what we've seen so far this year, particularly on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know, like I said, you, you released your uh, you know, kind of initial article looking at this game and, and looking at the Florida defense. What else you have coming up on The Athletic? Well, as you participated in a couple of weeks ago, we run the exit survey following the game as well. Uh, this week I'll be joined by Kate Casey, so that, that should be fun. Yeah. Um, that's a good one coming up. We'll also have a, a mid-season report this week as well. It's a staff-wide thing that we're doing at The Athletic on every college football team that we cover. So, obviously, we'll have one on Florida. We're looking ahead to the South Carolina matchup as well because that looks a lot more interesting than it did, say, six or seven days ago. Absolutely, it does. All right, that's Will Salmon in Baton Rouge. going to be traveling back. So, Will, man, safe travels. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll get you back in Gainesville, but, uh, thanks for uh, joining us here on Gators Breakdown and, uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully get back into Gainesville all safe and sound. Appreciate it, man. Always enjoy it. Are you ready to bet on some football? Then my bookie is the place to bet on football every week. Whether you want to make a national title bet or wager on this weekend's games, my bookie has you covered. My bookie is always the right play. You bet, you win, they pay. Have some fun with betting this season. My bookie lets you bet on which college coaches will get fired, who will make the college football playoff, or win the Heisman Trophy. You can even bet on halftime lines and live odds. If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. Also, my bookie allows you to bet on FBS versus FCS games. So right now, you can still get the offer of doubling your first deposit at my bookie. Use promo code Gators to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today at MyBookie.ag. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot A-G. And don't forget to use promo code GATERS when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid at MyBookie. And guys, you have got to try UFM underwear. Hot out there still. It's still hot out there in October if you're in the, in the state of Florida. Cooling down a little bit, but my... Um, uh, UFM underwear will have you covered. Whether you're tailgating or working, you need a pair of UFM underwear. Underwear for Men is the only brand of men's underwear that offers both isolation and support, all while keeping you cool. 
Unlike other pouch underwear brands that have thin mesh panels or pre-sized pouches, Underwear for Men's patented pending design prevents skin-on-skin contact and eliminates chafing. Underwear for Men is a state-of-Florida company, so you're shopping local when you buy UFM underwear, and they have you covered no matter the activity. Everyday underwear, athletic underwear, work underwear, medical underwear, underwear for men is made for it all. Try your pair now. Head over to ufmunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN to get $5 off your pair of UFM underwear. UFM underwear, support your manhood. And of course, every reaction episode, uh, get to your guys' thoughts as well. Uh, the fans' thoughts here. Um, you know, it just uh, thank you guys so much you know, for interacting on Twitter and sending me your thoughts. And you know, we do that every Sunday here. Get some of the fans' thoughts out there as well. Starting with John James Curto here. He says, "Recruiting the trenches, rearing its head tonight. Will be good though. The foundation is there." Shore up the lines and build some more depth, and we're winning that game. And also Zachary Garner, 44, 44 same thoughts uh, along the, along those lines as well. He goes, I just want to be better. We need to get those kinds of recruits in. We had a chance, but only a small chance with the kind of talent we were up against. And, yeah, recruiting in the trenches, you probably will look there first. You probably need to look there first for every SEC team, uh, recruiting in the trenches. And, you know, on defense right now, you know, Florida is relying on transfers uh, to, to get a lot of production there. Grenard, of course, and, and Schuler uh, anchor that defensive line, and, you know, Grenard's not out there, uh, so you're taking a big hit there. Uh, Zuniga has been developed uh, as a recruit, but injured as well. Uh, and you probably feel good about edge rusher with the, the Abate and Bogle in the future, uh, you know, but true defensive linemen are inconsistent with, with Carter, Anklin, Dunlap, Slayton. Just haven't been able to count a lot on those guys um, to, to, to be big-time playmakers. And, of course, a defensive tackle, you're not looking for big-time playmakers. But you, when you're playing a team like LSU and they surprise you in, in the run game, you hope you could kind of make some uh, adjustments. Or those plays never happen in the first place. But if they do, make some type of adjustments there. And those guys start playing better and, and stopping the run. But LSU was able to, to run on Florida uh, pretty much all night long. And on the offensive line, uh, you know, just not – just wasn't a – left enough from the last staff and, and having to play guys with not a lot of experience there after what you lost last year. So, you know, now Florida, you know, they don't have elite players on the roster at those positions on the offensive line, but there are some good young talent to develop and, and, and recruiting got an uptick there, especially last week with Isaiah Walker's commitment there. So, you know, I don't like getting in, into recruiting talk so much during the season, but it does have to get better uh, in, in the trenches. And, and we saw that versus LSU. Uh, my name is Earl says two red zone stops was the difference. Great game. See them in the sec title game. Heads up Gator nation. This story isn't over. So a couple things there, of course. And uh, yeah, it's not over. Uh, this is only one loss. Uh, of course, you know, Florida's had one loss seasons before that have turned out pretty well. So, you know, we'll just let the season play out. Uh, you know, of course, get by South Carolina, get prepped for Georgia. And that goes into, um, you know, uh, Morgan uh, sending her uh, text to uh, Morgan. I hope I'm pronouncing your last name right. Uh, Rectine uh, there. So uh, if I'm not, I apologize there, but you also say overall pretty pleased with the game, except our defense, that was ugly. But yes, we got to get healthy. Everything is still in front of us. So absolutely, everything's still in front of this Gator team. Uh, plenty of time to, to rally the troops. 
there. Go get beat. Go beat South Carolina, like I said. Get healthy. Prepare for Georgia. Uh, you know this team can still hold its head high. And a lot, and look, there's no more victories as I discussed with Will earlier. But man, this team went, fought tooth and nail with LSU. Game was closer than the score indicated. You fought all the way to the end. There, there, there are things you can point to to feel good. Um, if you're a fan for these Gators, and if you're a player and a coach that you can point to and, and feel really good about. Yes, things need to get better in, in certain areas, uh, but plenty to point to to feel good about where this Gator team is heading into uh, basically the back half uh, of the schedule. But basically to get back to uh, my name is Earl and, and his thoughts on, on the red zone, you know, Florida was four, six in the red zone difference. LSU was three of three in this, in this Florida defense. And I, I'll go back to Will's uh, Will Salmon's article uh, when he highlighted uh, the, the red zone defense for the Gators. Um, a, this was coming into the game, uh, with an opponent red zone scoring percentage of 35.7% for this Gators defense, Temple was the second best at allowing 52.6%. So the Gators defense had been stingy in the red zone. Uh, Opponents have only scored five times in 14 attempts going into this game against LSU. It was three touchdowns, two field goals, but LSU goes three for three with two passing touchdowns and one rushing touchdown in the red zone. So, LSU got down there. They made the most of it and scored. They only got down there three times because, you know, they also hit some big plays that never allowed them to even get into the red zone. They scored some big play, big touchdown plays uh, as well. But, man, you know, I'll give, give it to Florida there for – it was the difference. You know, like I said, scored four out of six. Four of those were passing touchdowns. And, you know, I worried about uh, – not, not worried. I wondered about Kyle Trask in the red zone um, you know, where you everything shrinks. You have to throw the ball with some zip. You have to make good decisions, and for the most part, he did, except for the third and one. Uh, you know, I still didn't. He just didn't look like he knew what Freddie Swain was going to do uh, there. I had to really go back and watch that play more. Maybe ask uh, or, or you know see what Dan Mullen has to say uh, about it as well. But I mean, all in all, you know, more more so, uh, I thought on the defense uh, again uh, of giving up the, the three. Uh, touchdowns there in the red zone. I mean, LSU's good in the red zone. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. They proved coming into this game they were really good in the red zone and scoring in the red zone too. And, you know, Florida fought valiantly there as well on the offensive side of the ball and uh, and scoring when they were in the red zone as well. But just two of them came up short, of course, to, to turn over third and one. And at the end of the game, uh, the option play that just went nowhere uh, for the Gators to try and maybe make some magic happen late. But, man, that was a – even though the Gators lost, I mean, that was a good game of college football. It was a fun game of college football. I think Gators surprising people. Gators probably will get some respect uh, in, in a loss. We don't know. Uh, we kind of know the narrative uh, coming in uh, to this game uh, out there where nobody was kind of giving Florida respect. People will look at the final score, 42-28, to 28, and, and the point spread of 13, 13.5, and say an LSU – Covered and on, on, they'll probably look at the score and blanket it that saying LSU did what they were supposed to do and they did in a way. But if people watch this game and, and they should have, well, it was a, it was a primetime highlight game for ESPN. But people really sat and watched this game. I don't think you can come out of this game and and disrespect Florida much anymore and and, and kind of you know cementing themselves after Georgia's loss as a true contender in the SEC East. That's where we go. That's where we go from here. Go to South Carolina. Go to Columbia. 
may be facing their third string quarterback. You go there and get a win, get healthy, and win in Jacksonville. That's the plan right now. Of course, you, of course, we can look towards for Vanderbilt and Missouri as well. But for right now, in the immediate future, that's what the Gators are looking at. That's what the Gators need to do coming up in these next few weeks. All right, before we go, let's take a look at what happened in the SEC and other games of note as well. And, of course, the big upset was double overtime win for South Carolina over Georgia, 20-17, to to get a big win as they host, as they host Florida next week, does South Carolina. And uh, i tell you what, Will Muschamp, Kirby Smart, not a, not a lot of good coaching decisions uh, in that game. Ryan Holinsky goes down for um, – for South Carolina. So South Carolina's on their basically third string quarterback right now. And, uh, but they find a way, they find a way to win, uh, in Athens with a 20 to 17 upset of Georgia, Tennessee really shuts down Mississippi state 20 to 10. I mean, uh, Garantano comes in, uh, after Mauer goes down for Tennessee leads, uh, Tennessee to a victory there. So Tennessee gets their first conference win, of the year and improved to two and four as Mississippi State drops to three and three. Uh, the SEC game of the week on CBS was Alabama and Texas A&M, a 47-28 win for Alabama as they roll past the Aggies there. Another big upset in the SEC, but man, this one was ugly. UNLV 34-10 over Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt 1-5, 0-3 in the SEC, but 1-5 on the season. You know they were pointing to this one as a uh, as a possible win here. And, and Vanderbilt, Derek Mason's got to, got to fight, figure something out there to maybe turn that season around. But that team um, really falling off, um, you know, really falling off so far this year. Another high-scoring game here. Uh, Ole Miss traveled to Missouri, and Missouri 38-27. Five and one on the year now after dropping the opener versus Wyoming, and uh, you know probably another team we'll have to keep an eye on here in this SEC East race. Kentucky twenty four twenty winners over Arkansas twenty four to twenty as Lynn Bowden was playing quarterback for Kentucky, only threw for seventy eight yards, but he ran for a hundred and ninety six yards. So Kentucky with their third-string quarterback, who's not even really a quarterback. He played high school quarterback some in Lynn Bowden, but, man, outlast Arkansas 24-20. to And then, once again, LSU 42-28 to over the Gators. And let's take a look at the standings now. There's enough SEC games played, uh, enough wins and losses happening now where you can really start looking at the standings and kind of see where everybody stands right now. In the SEC East, Missouri leads the conference right now with a 2-0 conference record, 5-1 overall. Only playing two conference games, they are 2-0. Uh, so that leads them, uh, that makes them leaders in the SEC East right now. Florida at 3-1 in the conference, 6-1 overall. Georgia 2-1, 5-1 overall. So Missouri, Florida, Georgia there. Missouri undefeated at 2-0 in the conference. Florida 3-1, Georgia 2-1. South Carolina with their win over Georgia improves to 2-2 in the conference. Tennessee one and two, Kentucky one and three, Vanderbilt zero oh and three as far as conference record goes. And in the West, setting up to be an Alabama LSU battle here. Alabama in the West three and zero oh in the conference. LSU two and zero oh in the conference. Both teams, of course, six and zero oh overall. And then it's Auburn at two and one, Ole Miss at two and two, Mississippi State at one and two, Texas A and M one and two, and Arkansas at 
3. That'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. Thank you so much for joining me. I wish it would have been under better circumstances for our Gators, but hopefully hopefully they can rebound, rally the troops, and uh, finish the second half of the season on the right note. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.